Father, here we are in your presence, seeking your outpouring of your Holy Spirit to be here. You've promised that when two or three of us are gathered here in your midst, that you are right here. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for the rest, the peace, the assurance that your presence brings. And right now, in the silence of our own hearts, we just want to give you the invitation to speak to us. Lord, hear our petitions just now. Thank you, Father, so much that that is a prayer that you delight to answer. You promise that your word always accomplishes what you send it for. So we ask that you would speak to us, that you'd inspire us, that you would move us, that you would motivate us, and that you would fill our hearts with rest in Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the delegation approached, you can imagine the silence of everyone. Everyone wanted to hear what was going to take place. I mean, here was one of the patriarchs of the group. Here was somebody who, if anybody could ask for something special, he deserved it. He'd been through so much Time had gone on, and 40 years had passed, and here he was coming to Joshua, and as he came up to Joshua, he was coming to ask for his inheritance. As Caleb came up now, the name Caleb means dog, actually, and Caleb is the one that we see in the the Bible that has a dogged faith. As Caleb comes up to Joshua, just to summarize what he says, he says, give me That mountain. Give me that mountain. Now, everyone must have been shocked at this point, or maybe they weren't because they knew who Caleb was. But Caleb, at this point, you have to understand, was 85 years old. Caleb was the second oldest in all of the Israelites who had come into the promised land. Joshua was the only one who was older. If anybody should ask for the plains, if anybody should ask for the easy part of the inheritance, the the place where he could just go and enjoy and walk into it, it should have been Caleb at 85 years old. But instead, Caleb, with a gleam in his eyes, looks up and he says, give me that mountain. Go with me to Deuteronomy in chapter, actually, sorry, Joshua chapter 14. In Joshua chapter 14, we read the story of what Caleb asks for. It's fascinating as he summarizes why he's asking for this. Joshua chapter 14. Now, some of the land of Israel has been defeated. You know that Jericho's walls had fallen, that there's been amazing uh, victories, but there is still much of the land left to be conquered. So in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old. I was just a young man at that point in time. I was just, just 40 years old. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my what? My heart. He said, I came back and I just spilled out what was in my heart. I came back and said, this is what I found in the the land. Verse 8, nevertheless, my brethren went up with me and made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. 
And if you were to go back and read in Numbers chapter 14, 13 and 14 to read this story, it's a fascinating story. As the spies go out, they find this beautiful land. They find, uh, for instance, they found that grape cluster that two of them had to carry between them. Now, here we have beautiful vineyards, but I've never seen a grape cluster that big and that delicious. They, they came back and all of the spies agreed that the land did indeed flow with milk and honey, that it was a beautiful and good land. But ten of the spies caused the people's hearts to melt because they began to say, wait, 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 before you say that we can just go up there, you, you need to remember that the, we saw the sons of Anak and we were like grasshoppers in our eyes when we saw the sons of Anak. The sons of Anak, we're told in the Bible, were giants. They're these huge people who were in the land and apparently it was terrifying to them as they went through. But Caleb and Joshua said, no, if God is with us, we can do it. We can go in. If God is pleased with us, He will give us the promised land. We can enter in. And the people again went on to describe the fearsome challenges that would be faced. And the people began to mourn. They began to go back to their tents and say, they, were, they were mourning. And they, they even said, we're going to set up a leader to lead us back to Egypt. Because God has let us down and Moses has let us down. Let's appoint a brand new leader who will take us back so we can be slaves again in Egypt because that would be better than the promised land. At that point, Caleb couldn't take it anymore. He and Joshua just ripped their clothes and began to say, no, we have to go in. We have to do what God has promised that we can do. And it was after that that God sent His glory and He revealed the the punishment of all of the children of Israel who would die in the wilderness after 40 years. They would have what they requested, that it would be better to die in the wilderness than to die at the hands of the giants. But, he said, Joshua and Caleb, they won't die. They will get the possession. They will have what their hearts have believed was possible. They will have what they believe that God would give them. I will fulfill that to them. So here we have Caleb, an 85-year-old man, and he's there, and he's saying, remember how Moses said that I wholly followed the Lord with all my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, verse 8 said, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as as he said, these 45 years. You know, everybody else complained about those 40 years in the wilderness. But watch what Caleb says about those 40 years in the wilderness. Watch about what he says about his life as he's been trusting in the Almighty God. Since 45 years, he's kept me alive ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. He could be bitter saying my life has passed me by because of all of these people's mistakes. But instead, look at what he says. Verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. Friends, faith can move mountains. Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be picked up and be cast into the sea, 
and it will be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. Caleb recognized this. He knew that if he recognized the power of God, that he too could move mountains. When I was just a kid, I remember my mom had a passion for climbing mountains. And she had a hero that inspired her in her passion to climb mountains. I used to always hear stories about Holda Crooks. I'll put a picture up on the screen of her. Holda Crooks is known as Grandma Whitney. Holda Crooks was a Seventh-day Adventist. When she was 65 years old, she retired and decided to start climbing mountains. For the next, let's see, it was just under 30 years, from 65 to 91, she climbed Mount Whitney, you see part of Mount Whitney there behind her, 23 times. She was the oldest woman at the time to have summited Mount Whitney at 91 years old. Some of you don't think that you should have goals left in your life. Remember Holda Crooks. Remember Caleb. There are mountains that God would have you to climb. Holda Crooks climbed mountains. And I remember my mom saying, I'm going to be like Holda Crooks. And I'm partially telling you this story today because my mom just turned 65. And I know that she listens to my sermons. Hi, Mom. And I know that, that she's been saying that, that her mountain climbing days are over, but she just turned 65. She's got almost 30 years left of mountain climbing. So I'm so excited for our vacation to Colorado. Next time, Mom and I are going to climb 14ers, right, Mom? We'll have to find out what her response is. But I want to introduce you to another man. His name is Min. I won't say the rest of his name because I'm not able to pronounce it well. Min was 85 years old this year. And Min had a goal. Min used to be the oldest man who climbed Mount Everest. He climbed Mount Everest when he was 76 years old. He's from Nepal, so he had a little bit of an advantage. His lungs were born at a high altitude. But just a few years later, a man from Japan climbed Mount Everest at 80 years old. 80 years old! And Min said, I'm not going to let that pass. I am going to climb Mount Everest. And so this year, Min decided that he would go and climb Mount Everest. And so he had a fundraising campaign. It's an expensive thing. That's one of the main reasons I've never climbed Mount Everest. He got a fundraising campaign on GoFundMe. And his goal was to do this and then to be able to travel the world and explain to people why they should have world peace. He was going to go to Syria and explain to them that they should be nice because he climbed Mount Everest. So, unfortunately for me, though, he didn't have, maybe it was something to do with the diet that, that Holder Crooks ate. I don't know. It also probably has to do with the fact that base camp on Mount Everest is higher than the top of Mount Whitney. But Min, uh, in May 6, got finally to base camp And he went to sleep at base camp, uh, adjusting to the altitude there. And Min never woke up. When you're 85 years old, to be at that high of an altitude is a, a very dangerous thing. So what exactly is Caleb saying here? That I'm just as strong as I was before. Is he really, is his body really physically just as strong? It may be. Because the Israelites were told that their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. We're told that Moses' eyesight, it says at the end of, I believe it's Deuteronomy, that his eyesight had not abated. But I want to to tell you today 
But there's something far more important that Caleb realized. It doesn't matter how old you are when you know the King of Kings. It doesn't matter if you're 85 years old and you've spent the last 45 years in the desert wandering or 40 years and 5 years in the promised land. It doesn't matter your weaknesses in life if you recognize the power of God. So Caleb says, give me that mountain. Verse 12 continues, For you heard in the day how the Anakim were there. The mountain was known as the place where the, the, the giants were, the Anakim, the sons of Anak. It says, you know how the Anakim are there in that mountain. And the, the cities were great and fortified. Think about this for a second. How big of a city can giants build when you don't have all the machinery that we have today? In comparison to the size of a city that an average man could build. Their cities were great. Their cities were fortified. Their cities were huge, Caleb says. In that day, you remember, in the mountain, they were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord has said. If you follow the story, Joshua says, go for it, Caleb. And Caleb goes for it. And it says that those three sons of Anak, they came out to fight against him. And he defeated them. He took Hebron, and then he wasn't satisfied with that, but he went on to conquer more areas, to drive out more of the heathen people of those lands. And he did this to be a testimony, to be a witness to the power of faith in the living God. You see, Caleb had a promise. Caleb knew the promise that had been given to the Israelites. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Moses is, is preaching one of his sermons. Deuteronomy is all the, mainly the sermons of Moses before he does not enter into the promised land but goes up and dies on the mountain. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, Moses has just said that famous saying where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he tells them to teach this to your children. So thankful for godly parents and teachers that teach our children to follow Him. Then he goes on to say this in verse 10, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, what, it is, is it, what does it say right there? To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. They were built by giants. These cities are large. They're beautiful. They're bigger than you ever could build because they were built by giants. I'm bringing you into a land where you'll have cities that are better than you could possibly imagine. He goes on to say, houses full of all good things. He says, you're going to have a house and this house is going to be there for you and this house is already going to be stocked with all the stuff that you need. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. You're going to have these wells full of water springing up. You didn't dig these wells. They were already dug by giants for you. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. That's a good thing. We've been talking about planting some uh, trees around here. And you know that it takes time before you're able to harvest the fruit off of a tree. Then it says, when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Remember who brought you here. Remember who gave you this precious gift of large and beautiful houses, wells already dug. Remember what God has done. 
for you. Paul seizes on this exact example if you go forward to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, Paul uses this example as he's talking to the Hebrews and he's trying to teach them about the supremacy of Christ. He's trying to teach them that they need to recognize in their high priest everything that they possibly can need. He's trying to build faith into the Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 3, he picks up this story and he quotes from Psalm 95, which talks about this same story. Verse 7, we'll pick up in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. What was it that the Israelites did? What does he say that they did? Do not harden your hearts. You remember what he said about Joshua, though. That Joshua wholeheartedly followed God. That Joshua was holy for the Lord. But the Israelites, it says that they hardened their hearts in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, when it was difficult, when things there were obstacles, mountains in their way. Rather than clinging to God in faith through fasting and prayer, they hardened their heart. They trusted in their own strength and they said, we can't do this. And then, oddly enough, when God said, you, okay, you can't do this, then they tried to do it and they were destroyed by those giants on the mountain. Verse 9 continues, When your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. They continued to see God's goodness even though they had rejected Him at that point. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always Go astray in their hearts. They harden their hearts against my counsel. They, they don't approach my word with faith. And so they go the wrong way. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. They won't enter into my rest. They won't get those large and beautiful cities, those wells that are already dug for them. None of this is going to be theirs because they won't let me give it to them. They won't believe that I want to give this to them. And so they're not going to have it. He uses interesting language here in Exodus 33 when Moses is talking to God. He says, show me now your ways. And God responds in Exodus 33 by saying, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Later on in Deuteronomy, again and again, as Moses is telling them about the promised land, he says, You need to enter into your rest. This is the place of your rest. It's a place of rest because God had already dug the wells. God had already built the cities for them. He'd used giants to build bigger cities than they ever could build. He had prepared the way and the promised land for them already, but they were unwilling to enter. Beware, brethren. Now Paul has shifted his attention back to the Hebrews saying, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware lest you have that same heart and you turn away from God. Then he tells us a little idea of how to be sure that, that, we're be, that we are wary of this. But exhort one another, how often? Once a week on Sabbath? 
Exhort one another daily. Be urgent about this. Constantly be encouraging each other to faith in the omnipotent King of the universe. Constantly be exhorting the people around you. You can see your way through this trial if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Sending Bible promises to people. Sharing words of faith with people. Exhort them daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, this is what took place for the Israelites. They worshipped the golden calf and danced around it. They were constantly complaining. They were constantly focused on anything except for Jesus and His power to save them. And because of that, their hearts became hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And when that moment of truth came and they had to decide whether they were all in, they weren't all in except for Joshua and Caleb. For we have become partakers of Christ. I love that word for partakers in the Greek. It's like the fishermen who were there with Peter fishing, his partners. We've become partners with Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the book, This Day with God, It talks about the importance for you and I of entering into the promised rest. While it is called today, it's important for us to realize that we too are called to enter into that rest. Oh, if everyone would only know by personal experience how much of heaven's promised rest can be secured to the soul even now by sincere prayer. Friends, for you and I, there's not just the promised rest in the mansions that Jesus has gone to prepare for you, but there is a promised rest in Jesus today. If one has not learned this lesson, every other lesson in life had better not be learned till he shall learn in the school of Christ how to master this lesson. There's nothing more important than having faith that moves mountains so that you too can enter into rest. So that you too can enter into those works which God has finished from the foundation of this world. This is an important lesson that we have today. It's vitally important that we don't allow our hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 16 continues in Hebrews chapter 3, for, we having heard, or for who having heard rebelled? Who was it that rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness? He wasn't angry with Caleb and Joshua because they wholeheartedly said, God, you can do it. But the others sinned through the hardness of their heart. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not, what does it say? Those who didn't obey. Those who didn't obey what God had told them to do. You see, faith results in obedience. Now, is this a a harsh thing? That faith results in obedience? I mean, which would you rather have? What the Israelites had in wandering in the wilderness for 40 years among snakes with the desert and wondering where their next meal is going to come from? Or would you rather have large, beautiful cities with well-dug wells that have already stocked houses and that have already orchards ready for you to just eat the fruit 
This was what obedience would have done in their lives. If they simply trusted in what God had already done for them, not in what they could do. Caleb could never conquer those giants on his own, but trusting in what God could do for them. Verse 19 continues, So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Caleb could ask for that mountain because of the faith that he had, and faith moves mountains. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. There's still the same promise for you and I today that we can enter into that rest. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Anybody that tells you that there's not the gospel in the Old Testament needs to read the New Testament again, I would recommend. Because here it says that the gospel was preached to them in the wilderness, that they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ too. It was preached in symbols and types through the sanctuary. It was a little different than what we see today, but they had the gospel preached to, and it's been preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Faith is crucial in moving mountains. Faith is crucial when the Word of God comes into your life. You can hear it. You can know it. You can understand it. But if you don't allow faith to allow that Word to, take, to bear fruit in your life, then it's all going to end up for nothing. This really is the Gospel. What did Jesus say? Flip over to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus tells those who are following him, as he looks out on the crowds and he sees the burdens in their life. He sees the sin that is weighing them down. And the angel told uh, when Jesus came that, that he had come to deliver his people from their sins. As he sees the burden of sin, as he sees the weights and the cares, the worries that burden these people, he told them on, on the mount uh, that, that they shouldn't worry about tomorrow. He told them to not worry about their finances. He told them to trust in God for everything. But he looked at them and he recognized in them that they were burdened, that they weren't experiencing the promised rest. And so this is what he, prom- what he tells them. In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see what Jesus is doing. He's taking that Old Testament promise and He's telling them that the rest that you've been expecting in the promised land, yeah, you're here in the promised land, but that rest comes through coming to Me. Coming to Jesus. And He revealed that back in Exodus 33 when He said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's the presence of God that gives us rest. It's the presence of God that can conquer mountains. It's the presence of God that takes out the sons of Anak in your life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but my guess is the devil has gotten you weary. My guess is that you're feeling heavy laden with some things in your life. The world we live in today is filled with stress. It's filled with burdens. It's filled with care. And the greatest burden that we bear is the burden of the guilt and the sin and the shame in our life. And today, Jesus is saying to you, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon you. Wait a second. I thought he just said this was going to be rest. This was going to be easy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and I'll, I'll teach you how to walk this walk of faith. Come to me and let me live in you. Do that exchange as we saw in baptism and allow the righteousness of God to come into you and I will teach you. I will empower you to live the life of faith. To follow in the ways of righteousness. I will fill you with my righteousness. Review and Herald, March 10, 1904 says this, He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him an entrance into the kingdom of God. I want to challenge you today. Do we have faith in the power of Jesus Christ in our lives? There's a common saying. A lot of times we tend to think of habits and things in our life that we struggle with. And I've heard it say it again and again. I just have a temper. And Jesus is not going to deliver me from that until I get to heaven. Is that faith in what Jesus can do in your life? Is that faith in a God who can move mountains? Is that faith that He has more power than sin? Or is that magnifying your sin above your Savior? Friends, I want to have faith that moves mountains. I want to say, God... I don't understand it. Those giants are huge. Those trials in my life are huge. Those temptations in my life are huge. But I believe that you can move mountains. And so I'm going forward. I'm following what your word says. And I want to do your will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God. Your sanctification. He wants to make you holy and pure. And this is a wonderful thing. This is like going up into that mountain as Caleb and getting up there and finding that you have a beautiful house and a well's already dug and a vineyard. And here are all these beautiful things that God has prepared for you. You know that God's law is not there to cause you difficulties and problems in life. Instead, it is there to guard you from all of the harmful trials of life, from all of the burdens and the despair that comes from sin all of the sickness and death that results from sin. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 17, uh, let's go there really fast. Jesus is, uh, God's giving us a promise about what he wants to do in our lives. But then verse 18, it's tragic to see how the Israelites had rejected this. They'd rejected that beautiful rest that God wanted to give them. Verse 17 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only you'd listened to my commandments, if only you'd followed what I asked you to do, I only want to do what's best for you. You see, this is the place that Caleb had come to in his life. He recognized how good God is. That God wanted to give him massive cities with wells already dug and orchards already prepared for him. And he believed that the command that God gave him was not to cause him harm, not so that his life would be difficult, but he believed that if he entered into God's promise, if he followed obediently what God had promised him, that life would be good. That life would be full of abundance. And if we really trust who Jesus is, 
if we really trust in God, as we look at the Ten Commandments, as we look at how Jesus boils that down to love your neighbor as yourself and love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, we look at those things and we see in it the way of rest, the way of peace. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Stand in the old ways and see that this is the way of rest. The commandments are what bring peace that passes understanding, that would have brought the Israelites peace like a beautiful flowing river. Righteousness crashing faithfully like the waves of the sea. If only they had believed in who Jesus was. Steps to Christ, page 71, says this, The heart that rests most fully upon Christ will be most earnest and active in labor for Him. Sometimes we think of coming to Christ and the rest that He gives us as, well, good, I'm going to go lay on the couch now and just enjoy every good thing. But Jesus knows that the very best thing for your life is an active life of loving this world for Him. And so when He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm going to make it easy for you to love people. I'm going to make it so that you and I together, with me living out my life in you, can fulfill the law of God with my righteousness and not yours. Because I will have already dug the wells for you. I will have already built the house for you. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that faith that moves mountains, and this not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that anyone should boast. What does it go on to say? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already dug wells for you. He's already built fortified cities for you. He's already got that orchard prepared for you. But the thing is, we've got to have faith. There are giants that stand in our way. There's those temptations in our life that, to be honest, sometimes we've surrendered to. There's those trials in our life that we've said, well, look, I don't think God can work out my job situation. I'm just going to have to keep being dishonest about this. I'm going to have to keep working on the Sabbath, or I'm going to, whatever it might be in your life, we've just kind of surrendered and said, the giants are bigger than I can handle. How big is your God? How good is your God? What does He want to do in your life? Go back to Hebrews chapter 3 with me as we, or chapter 4, as we finish reading this chapter. We'll go down to verse 3 for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore on my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Here's, he's giving a picture of the world that he had already created, the good works which he had already prepared for his, the human race when he created us. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The Sabbath is a beautiful testimony of the type of giving God that you have. If you doubt how good God is, this is how good God is. God created in six days. And on the sixth day, He creates Adam and Eve. And at the end of that sixth day, He takes them to the Garden of Eden. And that garden was already trimmed. It was already set up just perfectly for Adam and Eve. And on the Sabbath, they had nothing to do to perfect that garden. There was nothing that they could add to what God had already done. They got to just enter into God's goodness. And this is what God wants to do for you. He wants to, you to enter into rest 
That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's remembering who your God is as your creator and that he has the power to work an entirely new life in you. To allow you to enter into rest too. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 11, we'll skip down towards the end. Of, actually, verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, the person who enters into God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from him. When you enter into the promised land, you cease from your own self-righteousness. You cease from all the stuff that you can accomplish and you trust in the power of the mighty God to give you that mountain. You trust in what Jesus can do with that temper problem that you have, with that issue that you're going through with your children, with that neighbor that you long to see saved. You trust in the mighty power of God. How does this take place? It takes place through a full, wholehearted surrender to Jesus. In the, book, uh, in, in the Gospel Herald, April 23, 1902, it says, You must not let anything rob your soul of peace, of restfulness, of the assurance that you are accepted just now. Appropriate every promise. All are yours on condition of your complying with the Lord's term. Entire surrender. Like Caleb, wholeheartedly saying, Give me that mountain. Entire surrender of your ways, which seems so very wise, and taking Christ's ways is the secret of perfect rest in his love. The reason, my friend, that we have so much anxiety in our lives, the reason that we experience so much trouble in our lives, because we haven't really come to Jesus and fully experienced the rest that he promises. We haven't really yoked up with Jesus because He promises that His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I want to experience that rest. How about you? I want to enter into the promised land. It's a tough thing to surrender our wills wholeheartedly. It's a tough thing to face giants that we know are bigger than we are. But when we come to Jesus and we see in Him matchless charms, and we recognize that in surrendering to Him, giving up all of our ways, all of our choices for all time, and letting Him be the captain of our life, we're not giving up anything at all. But instead, we are choosing the abundant life. We're choosing the life of joy, the life of peace. Today, don't walk out of here without making the commitment, God, I will have that rest in my life. I will allow for you to fill my heart with faith in your promises. I'm tired of living a joyless Christian life. You've promised that my joy will be full. God, I cling to that promise. You've promised that you'll give me peace without, which passes all understanding. You've told me not to be anxious about anything, but with, in everything by prayer and supplication to let my requests be made known to God. God, I cling to you because you are the one who gives me rest. Jesus is longing for us to enter into that rest. One final quote in the book, Daughters of God, page 221, it says this, Just repose in Jesus. Rest in Him as a child rests in the arms of its mother. The Lord pities you. He loves you. Only believe Him. 
Only trust Him. Trust in Jesus. Cling to Him. Don't sell yourself short. Don't let sin harden your heart so that you begin to not believe that God is powerful enough to conquer every challenge in your life, every temptation in your life. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because He is the Almighty Conqueror, the King of Kings, and He wants to give you all power for every challenge that you face today. Friends, I believe that that King is worth standing before. And if it's your desire to have a deeper faith, a greater expectancy, if you want to say today, Lord, there are mountains in my life, give me that mountain. They could be mountains of temptation, things that you had given up on saying, God, I don't think you could deliver me from this. Or maybe today it's mountains of trials, financial difficulties, struggles with your job, struggles with your family. Today, if you want to stand with Caleb and request of God that he would give you that mountain in the strength of Jesus, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. You're standing not because you have anything to offer, but you're standing because Jesus has everything to offer and He's given you the loving invitation. Come to Me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest freely, abundantly. Those cities already well fortified. Those wells already dug. That house that's already stocked full. It's yours. Just come and drink at the fountain of life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, here we are. Father, I confess this morning, just over the past week, I can think of times when I have been stressed, when I have been anxious. And God, it's because I've forgotten who you are. It's because I've forgotten that you have promised to work all things for good in my life. I've, I've forgotten that you can give me that mountain. So God, this morning, I'm standing with everybody else and we are here just standing and saying, would you give us that mountain? Would you give us hearts like Caleb that are wholehearted in following you? And would you give us that peace and that joy that comes from entering into the rest of knowing that you alone can accomplish the work? May we repose in your arms just as a child resting in the arms of its mother. I pray this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.